Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Momming Autism Podcast, where we are providing a positive platform for parents and providers to share their stories about raising special needs children. We are your hosts, Amanda DeLuca and Katie MD, and today we are so excited to bring you a unique perspective on a topic that we get lots of questions about, which is behavior therapy and behavior support in school with Miss Sarah Wright. So welcome, Sarah, and thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Amanda. I'm so happy to be on with both of you. It is excellent to be talking with both of you tonight. So Sarah, can you start by um, telling everyone a little bit about who you are and what it is that you do? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Like Amanda said, my name is Sarah Wright. I am a BCBA in a school setting, which is relatively hard to come by. Um, I started my career in probably the strangest way possible. I went to the Ohio State University starting in dentistry. I took one look in somebody's mouth and said, forget this. (laughs) And um, I was taking a few psychology classes at the time. And I said, okay, I think I can get on board with this. I took some neuroscience classes with it. And I was like, all right, I'm really down with the brain too. Let's keep going with this. I snagged an internship at a charter school that specifically served kids with special needs. And I walked in there, I was like, okay, I think I can do this. And then they told me that the entire on the tenants of ABA, which I had no idea what that was at the time. So I was like, okay, let's see how this goes. And essentially they taught me everything I know about ABA their entire school, everything that they did was based off of the principles of behavior and helping these kiddos get back on track to get back into a socially significant lifestyle. And at that point I was like, okay, it's a little bit crazy, but it works. So I am on board with it. From there, I did my master's and I took my board exam, which was a beast. I passed it. (laughs) I served many different roles from home therapy, behavior support, um, in-home consulting, all the things. It landed me at school as a PBA, which is a board certified behavior analyst. So did you have experience with um, the special needs community before you walked into that school? Because like autism was not a part of my life until we received an autism diagnosis. So it was just a world that I was thrown into and Katie kind of you the same, right? Like it wasn't a part of your life until it was. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. That was the exact same way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I had absolutely no experience with it. Um, I had never been really exposed to any neurodiverse people. I went to a private school my whole life. Um, I don't, I don't have any family members. I didn't have any friends that were diagnosed. Um, You know, in a small town, my parents didn't really teach me about any type of differences because they didn't know anyone either. So I kind of walked in there thinking like, yeah, I can do this. This might be an experience. And I left and I was like, oh my goodness, this is now my life. I'm absolutely in love with it. And once you spend so much time with the neurodiverse community, it just, you become a part of it. I love that. So, um, what was the turning moment for you where you walked into this experience, um, you were, you know, hoping for the best that 
what was the turning moment for you that you're like, this is it, this is what I have to do for the rest of my life? So the school that I started at was pretty much a last stop resort for people. It was like these kids were getting kicked out by their homeschools and they were saying, we will pay you guys to take these kids off our hands. Which a part of me was like, holy smokes, how can anybody Mm -hmm. treat a kid like that? And then I would see the behaviors and I was just kind of blown away with some of the things that I was seeing because I was 18 years old thinking, hey, I can do anything. Um, And then I saw ABA in action. And when I first started, I was always told positive reinforcement. We're not punishing these kids. And I was like, wait, what? Are you, what, what do you mean? I just watched a kid throw a desk across a room at a teacher, throw every name in the book out, and we're not going to punish them? They were like, nope, we're going to positively reinforce their appropriate behavior, and you'll see what happens. So I saw one kiddo come in there with crazy intense behaviors, and after maybe week three of developing positive relationships with people, myself being one of them, I was like whoa, I can get more out of this kid by being a positive reinforcement to him instead of being a threat to him, I'm on board. I said I would want that for my own kids. I want it for any other kid I come in contact with. That's the stuff. Mm -hmm. And it goes against everything um, that you're taught as a parent. Like when we started doing ABA in our home, we're like, wait a second, like, there's no consequence. Like right. there's no, <laughs> what? And it's, it's, um, it's a learned skill. Mm-hmm. Like that was the, you'd think like, oh, like I can, you know, I can do anything. No, you cannot. It's a learned skill yeah. <laughs> because it goes, it's the exact opposite of how you were raised and how you were treated in school. You didn't turn your homework in. There was a consequence. You didn't go to recess and all these things. And we're like, no, no, that's not the game plan anymore in the DeLuca household. And it's going to take work to enforce that. Right. Absolutely. And it's crazy that into school settings, I always, 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 always get the comment or question from parents or teachers or administration. Well, they're not afraid of you. They don't have any threats. They don't have anything to be afraid of. And I always come back and I say, well, I don't want them to be afraid of me. That's the opposite of what I want. I don't want a kiddo to say, okay, I'm not going to behave one way in front of her because I'm afraid what will happen, but I'm going to go to my next class and just mess around for 45 minutes. I want Mm -hmm. them to say, I'm going to go to my class and work my butt off for 45 minutes. Sarah, when I'm done with it, because she'll be proud of me. That's what I Mm -hmm. want to see other than, oh, there's, you walk down the hallway they're going the other way right and I think that a lot of schools who don't have behavior support in there um, think that if they just take everything away then there's going to be nothing left for this kid to have a behavior about where really you're not giving them anything to work towards either right exactly Um, I push positive reinforcement so much but I really think that the problem with that is people don't quite understand what that is Um, so you know I say we operate on positive reinforcement 
And everybody's like, okay, well, you're just bribing kids to do what you want with candy. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, well, yeah, candy helps from time to time when my younger kiddos don't quite have that motivation. That helps. But I'm reinforcing them with things that they want. And I say, you know, you go to work and I'm not bribing you to work. You work your two weeks, you get your paycheck, you go spend your money, you're reinforced by it. These kiddos work, they deserve to be rewarded with something that they worked for. Mm-hmm. Well, and um, and that was kind of my thought also. Like when we first started ABA, we started in a clinical setting and they said, you know, bring in reinforcers. Well, Jackson didn't care about anything but food at that point in time. So he had um, miniature marshmallows, red Swedish fish and M&Ms in his bin. And we never um, got to the point beyond, um, you know, eye contact, physical imitation. So he was always working for those foods. Right. Then, then when we transitioned into home ABA service, we could work for anything. We could work for walks. We could work for access to certain trains. It was a whole different perspective from clinical to home. Yes. And your approach at school with your students with positive reinforcement is so much more play-based and home-based than what we saw in a clinical setting. Yeah, absolutely. And my kiddos, they always have an opportunity to work towards something. And, you know, their first response always as children is, I want to go to the candy drawer, right? Like, yeah, give me Mm -hmm. that sugar. But then I kind of give them other options. I'm like, well, why don't we go play secret agent in the gym? Or why don't we go on a treasure hunt? And it takes me two minutes to hide pennies around the classroom. And just doing those little things, they're starting to transition into that. I'm now working because I want to spend time with this. And it's more motivation, which is what we it's right? Mm-hmm. To become adults and say, I want to behave in this way because I want to have positive relationships. Absolutely. So can you kind of talk about, um, and you and I talked about this earlier a little bit before, new school ABA versus old school ABA is what I kind of call it. Um, And Katie, I think you and I have had this conversation too, where the first time a mom said to me, is your child an ABA? And I said, no, I don't even know what that is. And she said, well, you need to call and you need to get them in it. And I Googled, don't Google, because it sends you down the rabbit Uh hole of like, ABA in the 1980s in these really sterile clinical environments with this like teeny tiny child stuck at a table staring at a wall being told touch the cat touch the cat touch the cat and they're having a meltdown because they can't move on that is not what our ABA looks like our ABA is life skills and generalizing and play and excitement it is not sterile and boring exactly and um I Amanda I had touched on this earlier I have had people literally say to me, okay, so you have loved children. And I'm like, no, I'm not clicking something at them and making them salivate at the sight of an M&M. Not my end goal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I am. Yeah. I go into a home setting or a school setting or a clinical setting or whatever it may be. And I just kind of observe and play and get a feel of what these kids are like. And what their interests are and their preferences are. And from there, you use the behaviors that they exhibit. You analyze them. So you figure out kind of why they're engaging these behaviors. 
And then you throw in that applied aspect of it and you say, okay, we're going to figure out a way of behaviors in a socially significant manner to make you a happy, successful individual, not change you into a normal person, but to make your life the most successful that it can be. Just and a lot of people, a lot of people say training. Jackson was never trained. Right. Um, I would never say that. Jackson was taught. He was taught what safety means. He was taught how to walk on a sidewalk. He was taught how to approach someone and introduce himself. He wasn't trained, but these are skills that our kids don't naturally learn like my typical four-year-old learns. We have to put in the time and the effort. And ABA in our home helped us be a family unit on here's our approach for everyone so that we can all work towards the same end goal. It wasn't us being frantic people anymore, you know, trying to figure out which end was up. Right, and I think um, kind of like my biggest my biggest like keynote thing that I tell teachers, especially since I work in a school setting, is quit telling these kids, don't do something. Stop doing that. Quit it. Because especially with our kiddos, they don't know what to do in that scenario. So they you might be able to say, stop doing that. Stop, but something else to we're not um, behaviors to exhibit just by giving them a stop it or don't so what I always mm-hmm. explain is we really need to break that down into very basic skills and say like hey instead of throwing your pencil at me to get my attention this is how you raise your hand I will call on you and then we can have a conversation they need that and it might sound silly and it might sound like oh they should already know how to do that but they don't sometimes. And even if they do, they might need reminded. Right. So Katie, hearing all of this, what can you like envision what this would look like in your child's schools for your kids in Canada, as opposed to what your options are? Oh, you know, I've been listening. And the thing is, is that, you know, the, and I, and I can't really speak for every, every single province in Canada, but specifically where we live in Saskatchewan, you know, any type of support and any any type of therapy or resource that is able to come into all of our schools um, and help kiddos, you know, develop life skills, um, you know, even develop bonds and, and be able to trust those, you know, in their community and that are in their classrooms is such a huge thing. And you know, specifically where we live, there is such a huge gap. Um, and, and there's very much this idea, you know, and, and because of Google, we'll blame Google, that ABA, um, you know, people are people are nervous about it. They're scared about it. And, and um, you know, we know lots of families that do it and, and have had enormous amounts of success and, and have amazing stories of their children, um, learning wonderful life skills and being able to bring ABA into the home and and what that looks like and how they are so much different and and that that just improves their child's even their quality of life um but you know it's such a hard sell all of these things you know um and and I always hear people talk about these things and and we talk about it with numerous people here on our podcast and then also for me 
uh, directly. Like I, I talk to people all over our province and, you know, it's such a hard sell. Um, you know, Google is so easy to have access to and, you know, parents want to believe Google over the therapist where the therapists are saying like, no, we're not saying, you know, point to the cat, point to the cat, point to the cat. Like we don't do that. We do this instead. Um, parents are so quick to trust the internet. It's, it's such a hard, incredibly hard sell um, to give in people in our province, um, in Saskatchewan, to, you know, use, use ABA and, and trust your, trust your therapist and trust the specialist because they went to school. They know what they're talking about. They're more educated than what Google is. Um, so it's really hard, you know, for schools where we live, um, you know, to even get parents involved and, and bring sometimes, uh, ABA into the schools or, you know, um, behavioral consultants, whatever it may be. Um, because people just don't, they're nervous. They're nervous. They have these images of the, you know, 19, whatever, uh, in their mind, what they Googled, what ABA looked like. And, you know, I always want to tell people that you have to see it for yourself. You have to see it in action. So we and and what it looks so like. So we toured a couple different clinical settings before we decided on one, um, and both looked completely different. And then when we transitioned into home, it also looked completely different. But the reason we transitioned home was Jackson didn't want to go to the center anymore, and he was only two and a half. So for him to have that strong of a reaction at that age, I knew that it just wasn't going to work. So we transitioned home and it was the best thing we did, but also the company that we transitioned home with also worked at Jackson's school at the time. So I was building his team in home and at school um, so that they were familiar and Jackson was familiar. And we were really lucky because that's not common at all. Um, but I knew he needed that support at school to be successful. So Sarah, can you talk about the importance and the change and the things that you see with behavior support being in school. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that the behavior support in school is 100% necessary. Um, and not only the behavior support, but really thorough and trained behavior support personnel. Um, it's one thing to say like, yes, I have a cousin with autism or I have a friend with Down syndrome, I think I can do this. Other than saying like, yeah, I want to learn all about why we're doing the things that we're doing to help our kiddos. And to have those people in there that understand and can work with our kiddos to make them the most successful that they can be is so important. Um, I mean, teachers can only do so much, right? They have to teach a whole class of maybe 10 to 25 students. They probably don't have the time to turn around every two minutes and say, hey, great job sitting in your seat. Um, and I think I have this statistic somewhere, but the praise rate for a classroom ideally should be between three to five positive praise statements per minute. <laughs> Which is, it seems like, well, wait a minute, how can you even talk that much while teaching? And I thought the exact same thing when I was teaching at the school that I started at. 
I was like, there's no way I can get out that many words. But when you start getting mm-hmm. in the habit of it, it becomes more natural. I wouldn't expect any general education or special education teacher who does not have an ABA background to do that. But having- I'm just, I'm thinking like you're trying to teach math facts and throw in some praises while you're on this like long right. math tangent of like, pause, go back, pause, <laughs> right. go back. I literally <laughs> felt like a robot when I was doing this. I'd be like, okay, what word is this? I love how little Johnny's sitting in his seat. Okay, what word is this? I love how Kirsten over there has her hand raised quietly. It was a lot. And it just kind of trained me to be like this positive praise generator machine that I am now. But um, you should patent that for sure. Right. <laughs> but having <laughs> that behavior support in the classroom to do those things and take that kind of off the teacher's back so that they can make sure that your kiddo is learning as well is so great to have somebody there to say, like, pick out those little things that our students are doing that, you know, might not get noticed all the time. That's very hard for them. Um, I know I have a lot of kiddos that really struggle just to stay in a seat. So to have somebody standing next to them or sitting next to them saying like, hey, I am so proud of you for staying in that seat. You're doing a fabulous job raising a quiet hand. I really love how you have your pencil where it's supposed to be. Those things are helping our students understand like, yes, I'm, I'm doing something right. I'm getting it without having to deal with that potential punishment for something that they didn't know they were doing wrong. Well, and I think it keeps everybody's anxiety and frustration levels low, where if you're one teacher trying to teach 25 kids or even 10 kids, and you have two or three who are like Jackson, who are up out of their seat, who are off task, who are, it's a lot to try and keep your calm, to stay on task while you're also trying to manage this large group of kids. So like for Jackson, we knew that a aid support would be necessary for him to help stay on track, to recognize when he was overwhelmed, but the aid having that behavior support or training or, you know, whatever to help them also understand approaches that are effective to Jackson was like the winning combination for us. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it is from a teacher's perspective and from a behavior analyst perspective, having those people in the room is a game changer. Um, I mean, I've gone into classrooms, general education classrooms to do observations. And I'm like, oh my goodness, there are about five to six kids in here that could really just use some praise. Uh, They might not know that they're doing something correctly. The only time that they get called on by the teacher is when they're doing something silly or acting foolish. And the teacher's like, oh, this kid is constantly getting up out of their seat and I keep telling them, sit down, sit down, sit down. And I'm standing here like, okay, well, quit talking to them when they get out of their seat. (laughs) But (laughs) that's a teacher's job. That's what they have been taught to do. So having that behavior support to say like, it's cool, I got it. You keep teaching, call on them when they're in their seat. To have that help is phenomenal. Absolutely. Um, so Sarah, could you kind of just, um, as we wrap up, 
What is your advice for parents who are interested in behavior therapy for their kids, whether that be in home or in school or in a clinical setting, and they just are unsure because they've heard all the things we've heard. It's, you know, it's tough and it's expensive and it's training your kid to be something else because it is money that we will never regret spending. Right. Ever. I think my biggest advice would be to think about what outcomes you want for your child. Really get that in mind and then if you decide to follow through with ABA, meet your team, figure out if you like them. You can probably tell within the first, I would venture to say 20 to 30 minutes if a therapist is going to work well with your child. I don't know what it is. There's just something there that clicks with kiddos and therapists, whoever they may be. If it works, talk with them, make sure that your kind of your goals are on the same page. And then also be ready to get advice from somebody that you might not want to get advice from. I hear it all the time from parents. They're like, well, it's my kid. I know how to parent. And I said, well, yeah, I absolutely know that you know how to parent. That's why you're doing this. Mm -hmm. But I need you to trust me on this a little bit. And we need to work together so that we're, our goals are aligned and just kind of be ready for that back and forth because that has to be the hardest part of therapy and parenting together. It's hard for me as a therapist to go in and say, you're a phenomenal parent, but I need you to do Mm -hmm. this. (laughs) I will never forget um, the first time our in-home therapy team came in and Jackson was having a moment and they watched me deal with it and they watched Sal deal with it. And we are very different parents. And that is, you know, that's why Sal is the go-to for certain things and I'm the go-to for certain things. And I knew he dealt with it wrong and he knew he dealt with it wrong. He looked at me and I said, they're about to lay it on you. I'm just letting you know. They're going to tell you the same things that I tell you. And they're like, yeah, yeah. You cannot intimidate him. You have to get down to his level. You have to lower your tone. Right. And I, and I looked at them, them and I'm like, listen, we appreciate your feedback, but that had to have been hard. Yeah. That had to have been hard as a professional. It is the hardest thing that I have ever had to do that I continue to do. And I think it's especially the hardest when I get these parents that I see how bad they want to help their kids. So they'll do anything during behaviors. And they're like, he's he's screaming my name. He's climbing on me. He's climbing on the furniture. I'm, t- I'm getting down with him. I'm saying, what? What do you need? I'll do anything. And I look at them and I'm like, that's the problem. I need you to just tone it back and give them that love and that attention when they're asking for it appropriately and getting them to kind of understand that they're like, but I can't ignore my own kid. I'm like, I get it. And you're not ignoring them, but we have to figure out how to make this work. So we have um, flow charts in our house that are laminated and hung everywhere for situations like this. And at the top of my flow chart in huge letters, it says, use less words. (laughs) Because I'm always like, buddy, it's okay. I need you to calm down. It's going to be okay. What can I do? I believe that you can calm down. I know you can do this. And and, yes, right. My my flow chart says, use less words and all bold. Yeah. I mean, it is just getting in there and as a parent too I start saying things and then I think to myself like if somebody were to come in here and tell me how to parent my child I would go off and then I kind of take it from that parent point of view and I'm like okay 
let's figure out how to work on this as a team instead of like, I'm telling you what to do, now do it. I can tell you though, Sal and I um, fully believe in ABA therapy, 1000%. We will shout it from the mountaintops. If we didn't have ABA, Jackson would not be where he is today. And we were so desperate for help. You could have said, you both need to slather yourself in peanut butter and roll in feathers and run up and down the street. We would have been like, okay, (laughs) all right. Then that's what we're doing. Right. That's going to help. That's exactly what we're doing. But I can see where not every parent is that open and that willing, but you have to because parenting from understanding the function of a behavior and positive reinforcement do not come naturally. It is work, it is hard. Yes, 100% absolutely. When I got into this and then I had my children, I cannot tell you the amount of people that said, you probably have the most well-behaved kids. I said, oh my, (laughs) if only you could step into my household because I still, I train myself to this day, I'm like, okay, you do this in school, you do it on a nine to five, come home and do it with your kids, but it's hard. It's a full-time job. And that's why I always give my parents a little bit of slack. And I'm like, it is not easy to do this 24 seven. It's not, especially when most of us are sleep deprived and right. You know, all the fun stuff. Exactly. So one more thing before I let you go is, do you have advice if there is a school listening that does not yet have behavior support in place on why they should because I can say it all day long because I know it saved Jackson but from a professional standpoint yes ABA the reason it works the reason it has the credentials it does is because it is an evidence-based science it's not something that somebody just pulled out of thin air and said this is a magic miracle potion that works. There's science, there's data, there's research backing this up, showing people this works. And not just for kids on the spectrum, not just for neurodiverse kids. This works. Positive reinforcement works for all children. It works for adults. As much as Mm -hmm. you don't want to believe it, it does. Um, And that's kind of where I love my job because I can say, if you don't believe me, I have charts, data, Excel sheets to back it up. <laughs> yep. I have yep. all the things if you want to see it. And that's where I just love it that I can say, we're on the same page here, educators. I know that you do your job from a scientific standpoint. Get on board with this one too. Yep. I love that. Well, Sarah, thank you so much for um, agreeing to do this and for um, all of your information. I know that this is going to answer questions that we get all of the time. Um, And I think it's going to help some people who are kind of dipping their toe into the pool for behavior, because I can tell you finding a school for Jackson that had aid support, that had behavior support and so many other things. But those were our biggest two deciding factors on this is what he needs to be successful. And we know that this is where he can thrive. And I think that maybe some people need to know that that's out there and that they can look for that. Absolutely. Thank you for having me, Amanda. It was awesome to talk with both of you. Thank you so much. And everyone, we hope that this um, episode serves you well. And we will talk to you all again next week. Bye, ladies. See ya.